HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and could not be any more excited for today's guest. Um, in the studio today, we have Juliet Pope. She's the beverage director at Gramercy Tavern, which I will uh, go out there and say I think is the best restaurant in New York City. It's certainly my favorite restaurant. Uh, it's an outstanding place to eat, uh, drink, be comfortable, um, just at, still absolutely beautiful after uh, two and a half decades or so. Um, I think just an extraordinary, extraordinary restaurant. Um, those of you who are listening to us live, we are uh, we're coming in at 10 a.m. live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick. Uh, but you can always listen to In the Drink on um, on iTunes or on heritageradionetwork.org. Juliet, it is such a pleasure and honor to have you uh, in the studio. I feel like you're you're like the Derek Jeter of uh, of the wine world. <laughs> You've been at, at Gramercy and, and continue to be the best at oh. the top of your game for a long time. Okay, that sounds <laughs> a little ridiculous, but thank you very much. I'm happy to be here and happy to be going into my 18th year at Gramercy Tavern. Oh my God, that's a, it's just amazing. I think uh, I just went to the a little going away shindig for uh, Kevin Mahan, the, the old uh, general manager. Um, and it was you, Kevin, and Scott had each been there 16, 17, 18 years. This is true. How is it possible? How is it possible that the, the GM, assistant general manager, and beverage director had, had been at the same restaurant for so long? I, don't, I can't think of another restaurant uh, in New York or anywhere in America that, that has that kind of longevity. It's a special place. Um, working in what I'll call Danny world. Uh, the world of Danny Meyer is a really cool place to be. And Gramercy was in on almost the beginning of that world after Union Square Cafe, uh, second to come to life. And what was put in place there is something really unusual, I think. Um, we don't take it for granted. And when I say we, I mean 
Scott and I and Kevin, who's not there anymore, and all of us who are there and have been there for years, um, don't take it for granted and understand that it's something really unique and which we treasure and have tried to preserve while still moving forward and keeping up with the times. Um, but it, it, it's it's addictive. What So what is it about? I mean, obviously... Over all these years, there's been uh, built up so many wonderful people who've been attracted to it, and, and that makes up so much of it. But if you were to start, if you were to tell someone who was starting a new restaurant, what are, what are some of the basic principles of as to how how you can get just a tiny inkling of that of that Gramercy magic? I think it's just in the DNA, in the sense that the whole principle of what we do company-wide and starting back from the beginning is to take care of each other. And that sounds sort of corny um, to put it maybe into that sort of phrasing. It's the phrasing we use, but we don't even use it that often. It's just part of what we do every day. And that means taking care of our staff, taking care of our fellow managers, front of the house, taking care of the back, back, taking care of the front, everybody really working together. And I mean, it's not just the Christmas party or the Memorial Day picnic or the Christmas gift or any thing like that, which are nice touches, but just every day in the way that we treat each other, treat our staff, our staff treats us. There's so much mutual respect and care, and that's just the baseline expectation. So I think in the restaurant business, that's fairly rare to make that top top priority. And it's not entirely naive either. It is about running a business um, and if you take care of your staff, they can take better care of your guests, who thus will have a we hope a wonderful time tell all their friends and come back so it's it's practical but it's also deeply personal so once you're in that it's pretty hard to imagine not being in that if you're going to keep being in this industry so when i say it's addictive i think that's that's a big part of it is hard to imagine doing this anywhere else it's almost like trickle down hospitality take care of each other and then the guests will (laughs) they'll, they'll, they'll receive the benefits of a happy team absolutely it's brilliant and it sounds calculated but it's really quite natural once you're in it if everyone's happy well they're gonna take better care of the guests who are gonna be happy and it all is this wonderful sort of happy circle yeah. Now, speaking of the back of the house, early in your career, you worked in the back of the house uh, for yes. for many years and at some really great restaurants, um, uh, Union Square Cafe and, and Zoe, which had an amazing all-American wine list um, back in the day, uh, and for a time at, at Gramercy Tavern. Do you, ever, do you ever miss your time in the back of the house? Uh, do, do you think it's informed some of your decisions with, with how you, you manage and how you act uh, on, on the floor? I miss it every single day. If there were two of me, I would definitely still be doing it. Um, I like getting down and dirty and being in the fire, literally and figuratively. I think that's one reason I like restaurant service as well, because you know from your own experience, there is that aspect of uh, being in the weeds and that adrenaline rush and the satisfaction that comes from getting through it and surviving it and also doing it really well. and I love food, and I loved every bit about cooking, um, but needed to see the other side, see how the other half worked back in the day when uh, my husband and I were talking about opening a restaurant, and so I was the logical person to check it out. So I loved cooking, but it made sense for me to see the other side, and they let me do that at Gramercy, where I was a cook. Um, Paul Greco taught me how to carry plates and open bottles and uh, clean me up and put me in a uniform. 
Wow, quite a quite a mentor. Um, Indeed, someone who's gone on to be an incredible success on in his own right. Um, what were some of those early memories that you have with with Paul teaching you? What kind of lessons did he teach you in those days? Um, I think the same kind of lessons everybody got. It's just a matter of how you took them. But every day in family meal, from my first day as a waiter, where I was completely intimidated, not having done that before, something would be poured in a glass. Oftentimes it was a blind tasting. I think in the very first week, what what really grabbed me and left an imprint forever was a Mosul Riesling, um, and blind tasting. Hey, Paul that. was into Mosul Riesling. Oh, <laughs> can can you believe it? Yeah, shocker. Um, so in my first week, when that landed in the glass in front of me, I was transported. It was magic, and my first week also was one of our still in place monthly tastings led by him, where you tasted a bunch of wines together all within a theme. And he was doing an entire year of monthly tastings of Northern Rhone, which just blows my mind now. Um, and that class was coat roti. And I have never been so daunted as I watched, you know, my fellow uniformed staff scribbling notes and making all these really smart sounding tasting notes and having this lively discussion. And here's the cook, you know, newly cleaned up and put in the uniform and out there out front. And I just thought, holy hell, I am never, ever going to grasp this. Um, but those two things, <laughs> Mosul Riesling and, and Northern Rhone Syrah, uh, like I said, were imprinted on me, I think, forever and remain two of my favorites. But it, it really was his passion, his enthusiasm, that um, bombast, if you will, um, that really drew me in. And I became a seller rat from the beginning. I guess he knew a sucker when he saw one. <laughs> and uh, he said, hey, we have this program. You come in really early in the morning and you restock the bar. Oh, and there's inventory. That's the first of every month. We get here at 7. Um, you know, I just bounded along with it and said, great. And um, he would sort of throw questions my way every now and then. And, you know, what are the six, you know, Chianti, you know, subzones and that kind of thing just out of the blue. And I was just very curious. So I started doing a lot of reading on my mm -hmm. own and one thing led to another. Now, you said there was an entire year of Northern Rhone, 12 can, Northern Rhone. Can you believe that? So it was probably 10 because we don't do classes in November and December. I had started in August as a waiter, so I missed the whole first half. I mean, now in my position, which was his old position, um, I, you know, I'll do two Northern Rhone classes as opposed to a year of Northern Rhone. I still think back rather jealously um, on on what he was able to to pull off. He went so deep and so specific. I tend towards the more general in terms of teaching. Yeah, is that is that um, useful if you know if you have someone who has such a deep knowledge in one very specific area. I mean, your, your training is, is uh, legendary in the industry. I know a lot of people who've worked for you who just wax poetically about how incredible and how, uh, just how great you are at, at, at training. What, what, what are, you know, what, where did, like, obviously this comes from a precedent that was set at Gramercy that, sure. that training is, is important, but what are some of your techniques to, to keep people engaged? Well, as you and I were talking about a little bit earlier before we came on, we come from a really a 20-year tradition of steeping everybody in everything beverage. So it's an ongoing thing. It's not always formal. We do taste something or some things every single day, maybe except for one day a week, um, bef before we go into service. And then about once a month have... A more focused tasting where we taste a whole line of things together and then some things stuck in between to some optional things with you know importers and growers and producers and things so there are a lot of opportunities um where people 
well, there's some where they can choose to sign up. There are others that are mandatory, like Family Meal and the monthly tastings. Um, I extend invites to everybody to all the portfolio tastings out there and any sort of opportunities mm-hmm. I try to put in front of those who are interested. But even for those who aren't wine oriented, I mean, as you know, you're in this business, not everybody in it is in it. Most people or a lot of people are doing this to make a living while they pursue whatever their craft or their art or their science or their passion is that isn't restaurant. But even those people get drawn in because we just are talking about it all the time. It's a very open system. So anything that's open by the glass, whether it is cognac or eau de vie or an Amaro or a wine by the glass, anyone can taste any time. So we just keep that conversation going all the time. And with beer and vintage beer and cider and cocktails and spirits and all of those things. So it's just, I don't know that there's any technique. I did inherit a tradition, but there's, I don't have a particular technique except to sort of spread the love and share the love and keep it open for everybody and not, and try to keep it from being too super geeky because I think that scares some people off. It plays to some people's interests like mine. I'm a huge geek, but that's not everybody's thing, but everybody can find something to be excited yeah, about. I, I couldn't agree more. It's such a well-rounded list. If you, if yeah, if you're not a geek, if you are a geek, you can find something, and not just in the wine. You, you can yeah, hit if you don't on like the, wine, there are plenty of options. You, I mean, it was one of the first lists that I've ever seen that was really deep on cider or vintage beer before places, you know, started getting really into you know some some place of some interesting vintage beers and. I recently checked out Vassail, the new mm-hmm. uh, cider bar, and I was like, this is awesome. I went with, actually went with my mom, and she's like, I like Juliet's selection. <laughs> she's like, this is great, but <laughs> Juliet has the best cider. I love Karen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's really sweet. Um, how did you get so into ciders? And, and uh, I think you did, the list is, is really awesome. It's just happened organically. I mean, I think that, I mean, it's still probably, the, for me, the newest of all the categories, and I have a lot to learn, but... We are, we being in New York, in the Northeast, are in the cradle of the best apple orchards, the best apple growing, and the, I think, longest standing, finest cider making tradition. So it's really an area of exploration for me. I do, I would never claim to be an expert, but all the best growers and makers are within a hundred, couple hundred miles, Mm -hmm. and they are coming our way all the time, most recently because of the Wasail opening. But um, folks like Steve Wood of Farnham Hill, uh, Eleanor at Eden in Vermont and um, Ezra and Autumn at Eves, I mean, and many more. But there are some people who are really growing and or making cider um, in a really extraordinary way that they're trying to get us all to take a little more seriously. And it's working. So, And it seems to go well with uh, with the food at the restaurant. Absolutely. The rustic sort of hearty grill type stuff. The cheese, I think, you know, our cheese program is really awesome. And I think cider has a great place at the table. Uh, with cheese, especially your cheese program is awesome, I isn't just, it? Yeah, I, you know, the last few times I've been there, I haven't had cheese, but I, I remember a few really like memorable cheese experiences. Yeah, that too is a long-standing tradition, and I feel like it's gotten a nice breath of fresh air actually in the last probably six months or a year. Um, one of my fellow managers, Liz Eubanks, is um, heading that up and has a lot of passion for it, and is really putting a lot of time and thought into it. And I, it might even be better than ever. And more seasonally tuned and and perfectly handled um, than it's ever been. Is there a focus on local cheeses as well? Very much so. Mm -hmm. I mean, not exclusively, but very much a focus on focus. And I know that a lot of the produce that you deal with as much as possible is very local. So I imagine with something like cider, that's very compelling for it to be, 
you know, we have some some nice wines that are made locally, some really great beers, but to have some of the finest ciders in the world that can compete maybe with some French ciders, uh, that must be super exciting. It's really exciting. It gives us a huge palate to play with. Yeah. And, you know, I know you, you guys were early in on having some local wines. What have you seen has been going on with? Are there any new exciting local wines that, that you found? I feel like for me right now, it, I'm still digging in and discovering New York wine. I only made my first Finger Lakes trip last fall and was just mm. blown away. I've loved the wines for a long time, but finally got up there. Um, I feel like the overall quality of New York wines has risen so tremendously that you still have to be, you know, uh, particular and, and examine uh, the quality of things. I think, you know, there's plenty that's not great, but that's true in any wine region. But increasingly, there's so much more that's interesting. Um, and I just feel like everybody's paying a little bit more attention to vineyard work and the quality of the fruit and and how it's handled um, I think we all know by now that good wine's made in the vineyard, and th- that seems to be catching ar- all over New York, um, regardless of the sort of micro region or climate. And um, so, I think really exciting things are coming from upstate as well as out on Long Island. Great, I I, I agree. I I also went to uh, Finger Lakes for first time since I was thirteen, so the first time last fall, and uh, cool. just totally eye opening. Totally eye opening, and though I I am such an aromatic white wine person that. I mean, really, the Finger Lakes is probably my idea of Venice heaven. So um, it was pretty great. Uh, and I'm, I, I love that everybody's doing sparkling wine, especially mm-hmm. pet nuts and things, which uh, that's something I want to sort of guzzle anytime. Um, so it's fun to see pet nuts coming out of Long Island and as well as the Finger Lakes. I know it's trendy right now, but it's trendy because it's delicious when it's uh, done well. And um, it's been fun seeing some of those little quirky things coming yeah. out of those areas We had areas the Bellwether well. uh, Riesling Pet Nut. Delicious. 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 Red Tail Ridge Pet Nut, delicious. Oh, really Christopher crazy. Tracy at Channing Daughters is doing, of course, he can't do one of anything, so he's done a bunch of pet nuts. Oh. <laughs> They're super delicious uh, coming out of Long Island. So, um, yeah, there's so, just every day, every year, you know, you do this too. There's so much to discover, and it's no day is the same. You know, no wine is the same from year to year. Well, if it's interesting, and um, it's just a constant process of learning for me. All right. Uh, On that note, we're going to take just a quick break. We'll be back with uh, more of Juliet Pope from Gramercy Tavern. Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie? Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie? Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie just for me? This one's called Pumpkin Pie by the California Honey Drops. Don't get on away. Let it get sweeter by the day. Oh, won't you save it, baby? Won't you save it? Oh, won't you save it all for me? Save all your cherry jam. Oh, won't you save all your cherry jam? Oh, won't you save all your cherry jam just for me, girl? Please don't give none away. Let it get sweeter by the day. Oh, won't you save it, baby? Won't you save it? Oh, won't you save it all for me? Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. 
When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost be damned, taste is everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right, then we're back on In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. Um, your host, Joe Campanelli, here with Juliet Pope, the beverage director of Gramercy Tavern. Um, Juliet, I want to talk to you about a new program that you're doing at Gramercy Tavern. Um, for for 20 years, you've had a, a system where um, the, you, there were no sommeliers on the floor. Um, there were servers who were very well trained by, by you and your team, uh, managers or captains who um, had maybe perhaps an extra level of, of knowledge when it came to the beverage program. Um, and, and you as the, as the beverage director, but you recently introduced um, a sommelier system, a sommelier program, um, and I'd love to talk to you about what has instituted this change and, and kind of how it's going. Well, it is, it's a brand new thing for us, so I, I and we are still finding our way with it. There is just so much interest out in the world um, not just professional, but sort of civilian drinking world in wine and other beverage. And we are so busy, lucky for us, at Gramercy that it just seemed like it might be a natural sort of part of the evolution to implement some kind of system like this. Um, it, In a way, I guess we're very much behind the time since most restaurants of our sort of nature, size, caliber, if you will, um, already have something like that in place. But ours has been a pretty proud and successful 20-year tradition of, as you mentioned, basically building people from the ground up. We've never had that system in place. There was always a beverage director, Steve Olson, in the beginning, a few in between, most notably Paul Greco, um, in the middle, um, driving the system forward. And as we talked about staff being fully immersed all the time in beverage. And so we've essentially been training everybody to be their own SOM, um, which works wonderfully well. We just thought we would bring an extra measure of attention to it and provide our staff and management crew with another set of hands and eyes and wine-oriented brains uh, onto the floor. So we have a new program. Um, there's one person on the floor a night, which is something we haven't had. What we've had is all of us managers who all came up through the system, and everybody, and managers as well as senior captains and bartenders and many of our servers who have been there for years, are more than capable of talking to just about anybody about wine. But we now have somebody on the floor every night who can take it to next level if needed uh, in terms of knowledge and also just in terms of, again, being a, a pair of hands when we get swamped. Um, somebody else who can go grab that bottle from the mm -hmm. cellar or talk to the table about which of these Sonoma Coast Pinot Noirs they should drink. So it, it's a mix um, of 
you know, sort of physical and mental assistance uh, in terms of wine needs on the floor. So again, we're still in the in the early stages of trying to figure out exactly how to develop it. But it right now, at least at the very beginning, it's great to have, you know, that extra set of wine focused um, hands and eyes on the floor. Now, has there been any pushback maybe from a server who's been there for eight years, who's been to all of your beverage classes and says, I know this list better than, you know, than any any new sommelier coming in from the outside? Well, here's the thing is that nobody of our four and about to be three um, Psalms, which, by the way, we're calling wine captains in the sort of tradition of Gramercy being an American <laughs> restaurant and wanting to keep the focus on on captain as much as wine, somebody who has the vision of running a station and sort of seeing the whole floor. Mm. Um, we, But the shorthand really is Psalm. We're calling it wine captain, but, you know, the rest of the world would know it as a Psalm program. Um, we are... We're we're not bringing in people to do that. It's people who are already on the inside and who know a lot and are super passionate and want to put a lot more energy and focus into it. And so there's not an issue of who is this guy? Where did he come from? I know a lot more than he does because everybody already knows each other really well. There is, listen, it's it's human nature to want to sort of protect your territory a little bit. So there certainly are senior captains who are a little bit less inclined to invite someone into their station to take over a dialogue about wine. But to be honest, like that's the minority and it's just an adjustment. And really having a wine captain come into your station is no different than me or any other manager coming into your station any other night to do the same or something different, whether it's to mise or clear your table or serve a cocktail or talk about wine. So it's a small adjustment, but it's not a major adjustment. And from the guest point of view, are you finding guests that are asking asking for the sommelier? At yes, this point? it happens all the time, and I think that's probably part of what drove this. Mm-hmm. And we've always had someone in a suit because there are two or three of us on the floor every night. So there's not been a lack of a suit to go to the table, but the fact that now there's a suit who is extra geeked out and knowledgeable about wine just means that we're bringing a little more to the table. So that's really exciting. And the thing is, also, I meant to say this earlier, we have, I think, probably the highest level of interest amongst our staff at all levels in wine right now um, that it's I am thrilled while daunted by how to set up a program like this which many of my peers know because I've been asking them a lot of questions out in the wine world Um, I am thrilled to have it as an outlet through which to direct those people who are so interested in wine there's so much positive energy and so much interest that I need places things for them to do, places for them to go with that, programs for them to be a part of to help cultivate that interest. I mean, it's a great problem to have, um, to have all these people who want to have their hands on. And so we've got the seller program and we've now got a wine captain program. And I'm trying to find all kinds of ways to mm-hmm. keep those people engaged and interested so that we get to keep them. Uh, and I love to teach and I love to share and we have a lot to share. So um, having that program just means another extension um, of a place to go with that sort of energy and knowledge that people have. Wow. I mean, it, I, I didn't think it was possible to maybe improve 
the the hospitality experience at Gramercy Tavern, but this does really sound like it's an, even an added benefit for for your guests. I think it will be for staff and guests as well. And um, the response has been super positive. Um, I don't know that everybody knows the difference when a suit comes to the table, who it is, but we know, uh, and we have that sort of. They're action. not wearing like a big blinged out toss. No, no toss van, no pins. Well, actually, one of our psalms did just get his. Um, his sort of basic certification level. So he's got a pin, but um, we're not necessarily sporting pins, but just that extra measure of sort of passion and knowledge. And I think guests are really appreciating appreciating it. And the staff who are getting the assistance uh, from those people are really appreciating it. So we'll see. Like it's brand new for a 20 year old restaurant. This is in its in this program is in its mm-hmm. infancy. Um, and I look forward to seeing how it blows up over time. Now, I've I noticed, I'm not sure if this is, how new this is, but uh, I was looking on the website and I, I check in on your on your wine list from time to time over the years because I think it's so amazing. Um, there's something I think it's relatively new on the website that's sort of the wines that we're especially passionate about at the moment. Well, what we are on the website. It's set up so that there are a few places to talk about um, wines that we're pouring that are of particular sort of notability or interest to me. Um, so I can really plug in there, whatever I want. And, um, it's generally current with our wine or beer or cider list, but, um, everything that we're pouring by the glass. So yeah, it just rotates the changes all the time. Um, and, uh, I noticed that not, not a big surprise. I've always, uh, there, has been uh Jura wines on your list for a long time. Um, I think I've had a lot of my <laughs> drinking experience at, at Gramercy Tavern. I think the wines are just really expressive and great values. Um, so I noticed that that there's uh, Stefan Tissot uh, that you're excited about. But what else What else are you uh, maybe excited about? Are there any wines that, that you'd love to have on the list but maybe actually you couldn't sell? Or do you feel like anything that you, you'd like to put on the list would, would sell if you do enough training behind it? I think that we're doing enough training behind it, we can sell anything. So all all the weirder stuff like the Jura or the skin fermented wines and all of that kind of offbeat or funky, more natural styles of wines, that's all possible to sell. Um, now, will those wines get rejected sometimes? Yes, but that's also why we teach our staff and, and now our up-and-coming wine crew um, what those are about and how to direct those to the right place. Um, I feel like we could honestly sell anything that we put on. Um, I don't... We have traditionally been less sort of big bottle-driven mm-hmm. um, and more sort of, I would say, modestly priced uh, wine-driven but there's so much interesting under $50, under $100, under $200 that you can go classic and traditional, which we do in many regards, but then you can also go a little off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just as happy to sell a bottle of Gamay as I am, you know, a Premier Cru Bordeaux. That's just, again, that's in my DNA. From being at Gramercy for 20 years, that would make some people I know out there wince because um, they want to sell the big bottles. And obviously for the bottom line, that's great. But in terms of um, what's personally interesting to me or necessarily makes sense for a given you know group of diners uh, sometimes it's the little things yeah. that are more interesting yeah, and you always have a great selection of of crew of beaujolais both crew and non-crew but the crew beaujolais selection is always exciting it's exciting so fun nobody takes those wines seriously enough but it's great to have a small arsenal of them I know you were in uh, Madeira recently um, on a trip that unfortunately I, I was I was invited to but couldn't, so couldn't close. make it um, 
did the did that trip to Madeira bring? I mean, I don't know too many people, even wine professionals, who have actually been to Madeira. It's like, I mean. Yeah, I feel really so lucky underrated. because I haven't been to some of the major wine regions uh, of the world, or if I have, I've just barely been able to have a glance at them. But um, that Madeira trip just worked out perfectly timing-wise and lined up exactly with one of the wines that I'm most passionate about. It was just an ideal opportunity, and um, it was an amazing trip. It's an amazing place, stunning wines, just you know, with an incredible history and an incredible relevance at the table now, which so few people know about and, and, but are willing to learn about. So I feel like it's, Sherry's gotten a lot of play. Nobody really talks too much about port and, you know, I find it a lot less interesting than Sherry and Madeira. Sherry's had its moment, still is having its moment, especially if you look in the paper today, that's what uh, Eric's tasting was uh, with Talia um, and a couple others. And, but I think Madeira is, is right alongside it. Um, there's just less of it out there, less of, and less of a diversity, but I think stunning, stunning wines for the table. Kind of even less enthusiasts than Sherry. There are some people who are getting really behind Sherry, but, um, arguably Madeira is maybe a couple of steps behind, maybe a couple, of steps, maybe a couple behind. steps behind. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just less of it out That's there, true, yeah. and I mean, there are only five major producers, and there's so many more bodegas, big and small, and sherry, and such an incredible range of styles. Madeiras are a little bit narrower in that sense compared to sherry, but you could easily become expert. Right? Easily become es- expert, expert yes. in Madeira. Yes, indeed. I'm not expert, but I'm <laughs> certainly super jazzed about it. So. All right. Uh, and then uh, just finally, with, with the spring, is there anything that, that you're excited about that's going on at the restaurant with all these great, this great spring produce, uh, maybe some lighter, fresher style wines that people might be drinking? Um, well, rosé is on my mind because we're about to hit that really hard uh, starting on Friday and basically pour four still rosés, four sparkling rosés all at one time in w- one big May 1st um, pink wine bomb um which we're actually doing company-wide and we're calling it drink pink and it's um for a good cause and it's also for the cause of getting awesome spring juice out there um to go with our spring menus and you know we're the season's a little late in coming so i think we're all just coming into the awesome spring produce like peas and asparagus and all of that which are just barely peeking uh onto our menus um so we're a little ahead of the curve with rosé but i think gonna help usher in the season um with a lot of delicious rosé. Yeah, the rosé release kind of gives us a taste of the spring, even if the produce is in is in here. Yet. Exactly, we're gonna we're gonna rush it in. So, and and you find that you know that that that's definitely happening. That people are well, as soon as it gets nice, people are still. Are people ever gonna drink rosé all year? All oh year yeah, long? They, well they sure do in our yeah. restaurant. Uh-huh, we yeah. have we pour it all year round, at least two still and one sparkling. Um, and it flies out the door. I'm amazed and delighted that people have fun with it and also take it a little more seriously than they used to. That's great to hear because we, we definitely see a big uh, a big drop off in the uh, in the colder months. I mean, of course, that we don't sell as much as when it turns warm, but it is a year round uh, sort of celebration, if you will. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. Well, Julia, thank you so much. It's uh, sure. it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Great on to hang out drink. with you. Um, I, I mean, I can't tell everyone who's listening my my love enough for uh, Gramercy Tower. It's the restaurant I've been to the most in my life, at least of the nice restaurants. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think it's actually an extraordinary 
value, um, considering uh, all, all the thought and passion and everything that goes into it. Uh, lunch, by the way, is, I think, the, the greatest value. Best the, deal in town. Best deal in town, the soup. And the soup sandwich. sandwich. Oh, my God. And a, one of Julia's beautiful glass, wines by the glass would be amazing. Anyway, thank you so much uh, for listening. Thank you so much for being on the show, Julia. It was fun. Uh, this has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 